Hi, I'm Kevin, and welcome to my podcast, Finding My Freedom, where we talk about what gets us going in the morning, what our passions are, how we follow our dreams, and still have to deal with everything we have to deal with our day-to-day lives. This week is going to be kind of a tough one for me. I've been guided to talk about my struggles with addiction and how it has shaped my life and in some ways beaten it and in some ways it beaten me. (laughs) So first of all, I want to say that this is not a shaming thing. This is not a a way to blame or use this in any way, shape, or form to justify anything that I had ever done in my life. This also has nothing to do with how I was raised in the blaming situation. It does affect how I was raised, you know, in my life situation, but... I come to terms with the stuff that, that with my family stuff a long time ago on this, so there's none of that there. But also feel that the family dynamic and the predisposition with genetics and all that stuff, I have to explain how it went in my life. So I want to start off with. Um, First things first, that uh, my family history is uh, there's a lot of codependency and addictive behaviors, and it's the way it is, you know. Some of the things that were diagnosed was major depression disorder, manic depression, and and a lot, a lot, a lot of codependency. You can see it in pretty much all my family (laughs) so anyway both of my parents were very young when they had me Uh, my dad was 19 and my mom was 20 and my aunts and uncles on my mom's side were all very young Um, my youngest aunt was 13 years older than me and an uncle that was 15 years older and another uncle and aunt that were you know like 17 and 18 years older. So, very, very young, very young family. Also, this was in the 70s. I was born in 1972, so there was a completely different time back then. There was no secondhand smoke. There was no, you know, uh, worry about what anything happened to a, a kid. You know, it would just, we were just basically, you know, kids, you know what I mean? So I don't know how to explain it other than there was none of the checks and balances that are in place now, which I think in some ways, you know, it was probably better just because you're able to, you know, figure things out and, and sometimes you put your hand on the stove and you might get a little burned, but you don't do it again, right? Nowadays, it seems like everybody's so worried about, you know, not getting burned that they'll keep the kid so far away from the stove that they don't even know how to use it. (laughs) 
<laughs> you know what I mean? So, so I'm not saying it's a bad thing, it's a good thing. It just is what it is. That's the time I was born, and that's it. So my mom wasn't much of a partier, but she definitely was codependent. And my dad, well, he was not there. But later on in the story, you'll see where that comes to play. Because, uh, you know, he had a battle with alcohol. Very bad battle with alcohol. And my aunts and uncles, they like to smoke a little pot here and there. And everywhere. (laughs) So, like, you know, it was pretty much around me my whole life. Like, I never thought it was weird that like people didn't do that you know what I mean like I mean I literally remember when I was like in the sixth grade or something and and my friends had discovered pot or whatever and they were just all like oh this is so cool and for me it was like no big deal because it's been around me my whole life I never ever really worried about it As a matter of fact, there's a story in the family that goes around that um, when I was five years old, I had snuck into my aunt or uncle's pot tray. They always kept it, like, under the couch, right? And um, nobody showed me how to do this. Nobody, just from watching people and, you know, being observant, I ended up... uh, figuring out how to roll a joint and (laughs) well my aunt came in and she saw what I was doing and she stopped me and you know that was that I didn't really think nothing of it I don't remember this happening but I do remember people telling the story about this happening so uh, my grandmother found out about it and I guess went ballistic but I've never smoked it when I was a kid or anything like that. I mean, obviously, secondhand smoke and stuff, but like, nothing was ever, you know, given to me. You know what I mean? Like, the reason why I think it's important that this story is told is because, you know, there's this disposition of that sort of lifestyle, right? Like, if you're around it all the time and stuff and it's not a big deal, well, then, you know, like, it's just part of your life you're gonna be more apt to follow that path right like you're gonna be more conditioned to you know do that so anyway that was the story I don't remember it and all that but though there is one thing I do remember I think I was only like seven or eight years old where uh I wasn't feeling very good and my mother gave me some Benadryl and I remember this to this day that like after taking the Benadryl man it felt like so good to feel relaxed you know and to like be able to sleep and to you know um, just it was just this really nice feeling and I don't know why I remember that but I still remember that to this day so 
anyway, there was, uh, there, that was pretty much what was going on. So, uh, um, my mother was in nursing and she like, you know, would, you know, use Benadryl and Tylenol and different things like that. You know what I mean? My stepdad was a smoker and, uh, he smoked in the house. And so there was, you know, the house was always filled with smoke. And I remember uh, one time in the sixth grade being in re- being done with wrestling and, and coming home and like feeling this restless feeling, you know, like, I don't know, I couldn't explain it at the time. It was like this, this feeling in my gut and it just like wouldn't, it was like a gnawing feeling, right? Well, later on in life, when I quit smoking cigarettes, I realized that that was that feeling I had when I was a kid, like... Even though it was just secondhand smoke, and I did try smoking a couple times when I was a kid, and they put a big kibosh to that, you know. Like, I got busted for smoking one point. I was, like, in the seventh grade, I think, and uh, I paid for that one pretty big, you know. He didn't, he didn't tell my mom at first, and she kept saying, why is he working so much? What is going on, you know? Like, literally... It was, there was, there was a rough, it was rough between me and my stepdad anyway, but this was like on steroids, right? Well, he busted me smoking them cigarettes and for, you know, the whole weekend, that's all I did was work. And finally he confessed to my mother what was going on. And so, you know, in the sixth grade, a bunch of my friends were smoking and doing all that sort of stuff, but I had joined wrestling at that point and... I don't want nothing to do with them guys and, and what they were doing. I mean, we were all friends, and I had to walk home with them and different things like that. But I didn't really have a propensity for following in their footsteps. And what ended up happening to a few of them got in trouble. One of them committed suicide. And, you know, in some ways, I'm glad that the wrestling found me at that point to where I was able to not follow that path. So fast forward to, well, I would say like, so from the time I was like five or six until 14 or 15 in a 10 year period, there was always this point of like angst, you know, or like this gnawing feeling all the time, you know, like, and it could have been uh, secondhand smoke. It could have been any of that stuff. It could also have been my mental Abilities and me being a child and not understanding any of this stuff. Nobody talked about this stuff back then. Nobody knew what was going on. You were just either, you know, weird or not, you know. So there was a lot of stuff that, like, was really happening in my childhood that I had no idea, like, what was what was going on with it. So, I mean... But when I was 15, the neighborhood had like a little party or whatever, and I had, you know, I had a a beer, and actually had a couple, and I remember thinking, wow, man, this is pretty cool, like I could like literally calm my mind down, you know what I mean, like it was one of those things where um, another point of which I didn't really think too much of like doing it all the time or anything but I just remember thinking man 
how good I slept and all, you know, like my mind would just calm itself down like you wouldn't believe. So, but I still didn't like party too much. I mean, from 15 to 18, it was a lot of every once in a while I'd get invited to a party or go to a party or, you know, something like that. Or, um, couple times I had an older cousin that like you know we would drink a little bit here and there and I'd get super sick and then be away from it you know that sort of thing and never really it never really it was just more teenager normal teenager stuff right but nobody saw anything of it I mean I didn't flaunt it in front of anybody and you know, like it just was just your, like I said, your normal teenager sort of stuff that that happened. Now, throughout this whole time, from the time I was like 14 years old until 18 or whatever, I played my guitar. I took guitar lessons. I worked at uh, Adrian College washing dishes. I did what every teenager was doing at the time. I had a moped. I was cruising around on that thing. You know, I mean, I was just... Out working and, and doing my thing. And then when I turned 18 and graduated high school, you know, things got a little bit different. Um, I was playing in a band with a buddy that, like, uh, we were very tight. We were very, very tight. He was a guitar player and I was a guitar player. And we put this band together. And we were always watching these documentaries about, you know, Zeppelin and all these guys and all the wild shit that they done, you know. And and that's when I started smoking cigarettes. We couldn't find a singer, right? And so, like, every time it came around, we couldn't find a singer. And Lord knows I couldn't sing at the time at all. But, you know, I just said, fuck it, I'll do it, man. I'll just do it. And we'll at least get the ball rolling until we can find somebody. And that's how I ended up, like, sort of fronting the band and... If anybody knows me and knows who I am, I'm not a uh, outgoing person that way. I've never, I was a side man, you know, like I was a rhythm guitar player most of the time. Didn't even hardly play much lead. But we wrote these songs and I figured out a way to get around singing them and stuff. And, um, and so there was a lot of nerves there. There was a lot of like... Uh, me not feeling good enough to be doing that sort of thing but I was doing it anyway because we were getting gigs and we were like doing this sort of thing and so the closer we got we started experimenting a little bit with certain things certain drugs nothing major like I mean I dropped acid a couple times and I think that that was now that I look back on it I think that was one thing that triggered my anxiety because before I did that yes I had anxiety yes I had these issues but like after I did that like it went kind of through the roof you know what I mean like like my anxiety levels were were like getting weird and I couldn't figure out why and I didn't feel as confident as I used to be and I just felt like you know something got switched off or something happened you know anyway so we went through a few months of experimenting and at this point when I was 18 the drinking was pretty much a a regular routine you know now not necessarily like 
some people where it was every day or anything, but it was pretty constant. Um, throughout my life, I've been able to drink and do all that stuff and still hold down a job. Um, that is not a point of uh, uh, pride. <laughs> it's just the way it is. I've just been able to uh, do that. And But I think part of the reason why I was always able to do that is because the way that I was raised, like... Like, I was raised that you could do anything you want to do in this world. It didn't matter. Nobody gave a shit, especially in my family, what I did. Especially if I was making my own way. If I was working a full-time job. If I was paying my own way for my own rent and doing all that stuff. If I was taking care of all of my responsibilities. They could care less what I did. You know? And so... Thinking back on it now, I mean, that's sort of a, well, not sort of, it's a pretty big survival mentality, right? Like, as long as you're surviving, whatever you do to deal with your survival is fine. (laughs) You know, that sort of thing. Rather than having sort of the abundant attitude of like, you know, I am endless and boundless and all that sort of thing. Also, there was points in my teenage years between 14 and 18 where I noticed that people were like starting to project that victim mentality on me I didn't think okay I didn't think I had like that that heart of a life right like yeah sure I had issues you know dad left and my stepdad was a prick to me but you know I mean so what you know I mean we all get on with life right until my friends started saying man you know if I was in your case, I'd probably be in trouble, or I'd probably be in jail, or, you know, this sort of thing, and I'm just thinking, I don't know what the hell they're talking about, man, it just is what it is, you know, it's my life, but after so many people start telling you this stuff, you know, you start to believe it, you start to think, well, yeah, it is pretty shitty, and yeah, oh, why the hell do I have to deal with this crap, you know, and having that sort of victim mentality, and later on down the road, you'll see where it, like, sort of come to a head with me quitting music I mean to be honest with you like like but it didn't start with me thinking that that was my life it sort of started with people projecting it on me you know what I mean like like people telling me like you know that sort of thing and being young and impressionable and you know what I mean like I started to believe it and so I started giving myself more and more leeway on you know well, other people would be doing doing more than what I'm doing and that sort of thing. Um, there's always been something about my certain standard of living to as far as... I was never... Uh, interested in like any sort of drugs that um, would put me under you know like like um, I didn't really hardly ever smoke any pot at that time it was just a lot of drinking a lot of drinking first of all for me the way I justified it was it was legal I mean not when I was under 21 but you know it was legal and you know I didn't see a whole lot of people trying to eat out of dumpsters for a dollar to you know, 
get that. So like, that was sort of how I justified it. It's like, all right, I can work, I can do whatever I do, and uh, you know, at least forget for for that little bit of time. You know, at least forget about my issues for a little while. So that went on for a very long time. Like, uh, I drink every day for almost 20 years. You know, like like pretty much every day. But before we get to the, to the end of that and how that worked out. And, but it wasn't like drinking booze or anything. It was just drinking beer mostly. I did drink a, a booze every once in a while. Man, We'll talk a little bit more about that a little bit later on down the road. So, so I'm 18 years old, somewhere 18, 20 years old, something like that. Me and my dad started, uh, you know, we started uh, reconnecting a little bit. And honestly, I have to say, you know, there was one point when I went down to Ohio and uh, we spent a weekend hanging out and talking and, and uh, played a little bit of music and did all that and he literally had a talk with me about his drinking and what happened and and like how I need to really be careful <laughs> like like literally like and I obviously lied to him. he's like are you drinking much and I said no you know obviously I'm not gonna tell him I mean I had respect for my elders so they didn't need to know anything about what I was doing as far as I was concerned you know but you know he told me something that was so true but at the time, you know, I just said to myself, it's not going to happen to me. It's not going to happen to me. But he said, you know, at first it's fun, especially when you're playing music, because you get a little bit of a buzz and you feel a little bit loose and all that. Then you use it as sort of a crutch. You start to think you need it and like maybe do a shot or two before you start playing and different things like that. And he said, in the end is that you don't do anything without it. You literally get up in the morning and that's your whole life. You know, everything else is secondary. And I, like I said, I just said, you know what? It's not going to happen to me. I'm fine. I, you know, like I just party here and there a little bit, but it ain't no big deal. But I was wrong. <laughs> you know, like I was wrong. It only took me like 20 what 30 years or something for it to really kick you know like really kick in right like I had been flirting with it for pretty much all my life you know and um found ways to justify you know especially working and especially doing this you know somebody who's working a full-time job playing music on the weekends you know it was no big deal as far as I was concerned and then at 20, was it 23, I went back to, I went to music school. And, um, by the time I got there, I had been drinking pretty much every day, you know. Like that, that six to eight months before getting to music school, I was literally working like 70 hours a week just trying to save up enough money to get to the school. You know, I was in Michigan and the school was in Minnesota. I mean, I was working two jobs. And, uh, you know, I had to pay my... I was living with my mom, but I still had to pay rent, you know. I mean, I had to. Like, there was no other way around it. She couldn't afford to, I me mean, not to. 
and the only reason why I was living there was because it was cheaper than, you know, having to pay rent full-time for other places, you know what I mean? So, it was a little bit of a break, but, you know, I mean, I mean, it sucked, dude. Like, it sucked bad. I could not catch a fucking break, you know? It seemed like every time I turned around, I tried to make my life better. It just seemed like it was one step forward and ten steps back. And so, I started getting into that pity party mode even more. Still worked as much as I worked and was drinking on top of it, you know. But then when I went to music school in Minneapolis, that first two months or a month or something, I didn't drink at all. I didn't I didn't do any partying whatsoever. I was also working there. <laughs> I figured out a way to where I could uh, valet on the weekends and go to school full time and uh, be able to eat a little bit, make a little bit of a living and, you know, the funny thing is, is that that was a real big check for me, you know, like the school and everything was a big check in a lot of ways. I ended up like still partying, but just not like I was, you know? So I'm 23 and in music school and like, uh, things are going pretty good. And, but I, you know, like, like I said, we, I was hanging out with other people that played music like I did and you know we'd party here and there you know drink here and there or whatever and that was about all it was with it you know so for that year that one year when I was going to school there yes I was drinking and stuff but not like I was before I went to that school so honestly like when I think back on it there's a lot of times when the music was sort of my check, right? Like, I I never was one of those types that, like, was, oh, I have to smoke this or I have to do that in order to feel inspired to write a song. As a matter of fact, it was the exact opposite for me. Like, it was just a way for me to shut things off because my mind was so active, you know? It was so, you know, like, active, like, all the time, like... So, the way to get some peace, the way to get the thing to shut off was, was through drinking, you know? And so, it was, it was my way of, like, being able to, you know, calm my mind down a little bit. Because I could, very creative, you know, I've always been very creative throughout my, uh, throughout my childhood and throughout my life. I've always been fascinated with music and, and sound and different things like that. And it's never been you know, like, uh, an issue with, with not being creative, but, you know, it just, it just felt like there, I didn't know how to shut this stuff off, right? Like, I didn't know how to calm myself in a certain sort of way and shut this freaking, you know, carousel of a brain I have, you know what I mean? Like, down. So, when I needed to do it, that's what I would do. I would drink and, and, and do all that sort of thing. So after music school, I was um, basically, you know, hired to to play music, you know, like uh, I had gotten a couple gigs from uh, one of the teachers at the school, and uh, it was the beginning of my, what I consider my full-time music career, 
I was still working, but I was working part-time most of the time from then until, I guess you'd say, from 96 to 2005, I was pretty much full-time. I mean, obviously, there's points when I would have to go to work, but it'd only be for a little bit of time anyway. So, but this was when I started, like, well, actually, I didn't think it was a problem, but, like, where people around me started noticing, like, hey, dude, you might have a problem here. But they didn't come out and say, hey, dude, well, one, I had a girlfriend, and, um, you know, she was one of them that did, that did sort of say that. But we didn't, like, live together or anything until after I had been there for, like, six months. And, you know, she'd say, you're a different person when you're drinking. And I like you a lot better when you're not, but you know, guess what creeped back into my head? You know, you, you know, the whole, it doesn't matter what I do. As long as I'm paying my way, I can do whatever the hell I want and nobody can say shit about it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that was my attitude. And that's a bad attitude to have, man. Especially when you, you, you know, like I had my whole career in front of me, right? Like I had it in the palm of my hands, you know, like one or two different choices that I made could have went a different way, right? That's not regret. It's not, I'm not thinking of it in that sort of way, but I'm just thinking of it in a way of like, what led me to that point? You know what I mean? Like what led me there and how did I get here where I'm at today? You know? So this is not like talking about like, uh, what, uh, you know, I could have done different or anything like that. But I would have to say, my time in Minneapolis, it was all laid out for me. All I had to do was clean my, get my shit straight, clean up a little bit, believe in myself a little bit more, and I could have pretty much ruled the world, you know? But that's not what happened. You know, I let my ego get involved, and... I was bound and determined to play music for a living, and I didn't care how I did it. And so I made a couple of bad choices, you know, now that I think about it. Instead of sticking around town and, like, building a name for myself, I went out on the road and uh, played the casino circuit and did different things like that, which I was just making a paycheck, right? Like, I was making, you know, a paycheck, but I was playing music for a living, and that's all I cared about at that point in time. I didn't care about anything else, you know? And, uh... So that's when... When I was on the road there, I started seeing these cycles, right? Like, um... We play six nights a week. And I... You, you go on the road for six weeks and have two weeks off. Play six nights a week, and we travel on our day off. So... What I noticed was happening um, with me. Now, the other guys in the band were all much, much older than me. They were all in their late 30s, early 40s, and they had been doing this for years. So they were all pros. You know, um, the drummer I was playing with, he'd start drinking at 7 in the morning. And, you know, by the time the show came on, he'd be hammered. And sometimes we didn't know if he was going to actually get through the show or not. And... It was pretty miserable, but, you know, that's the way it was. And the keyboard player was, you know, um, 
I think he was hiding out, to be honest with you. I think he might have been on the run or something. It was so weird, like, now that I think back. He's a pretty nice guy, but seemed a little on the gangsterish side. And that dude could drink all day and night, and you would never in a million years ever know he ever drank a drop. <laughs> you know? So, I don't know. There's just something weird about him. He's like a wise guy or something, you know? And uh, the singer, she just, you know, she pretty much stayed away from it throughout the whole the whole thing and here I was this young buck fresh on the road you know and people thinking you know when I was in town and, and all that sort of stuff people my friends and different things like that would think I had a problem but when I was on the road everybody thought I was as straight as an arrow you know what I mean like like even though I drank I did what I did to them they were so far to the other extreme that uh, you know I'd end up being the designated driver a lot and then part of it was they were like you know you can stop at some point you don't have to drink anymore so we're going to make you the driver (laughs) you know because none of them could or if they could by the time they got to that point they were so freaking hammered that you know so like on the driving day I didn't drink you know what I mean so my cycle would look something like Okay, Monday we do setup. Usually Sundays or Mondays we travel or do setup. So let's say we play Tuesday through Sunday, and um, we load everything up Sunday night. Get up early, get on the road Monday morning, start travel. We get to the gig, we set everything up Monday night, and uh, get ready for the show Tuesday. And so my cycle was sort of like. Okay, we start. I, I dr- would drive Monday, and we'd set up Monday night, and I would have a few beers. So then uh, Tuesday, before the gig, I would have a couple beers, right? Thursday rolls around, and I'd do a shot or two in between the sets. Friday rolls around, and I'm doing a shot before the sets. Saturday rolls around and I'm starting to drink, do a few shots and stuff before we get to play. And then, uh, you know, uh, we do the show and then pack everything up either Sunday or Monday. And then I would not drink that whole morning or that whole day where we were traveling. So that was my cycle and I didn't realize it at the time but I mean it was just the way you know and throughout this whole time too like after the shows we'd all be partying and hanging out so it was like to feel better I'd have to like ramp up my you know my drinking just to feel a little bit better and feel a little bit better you know that sort of thing well I did that for I guess almost a year and um went back to Minneapolis and uh uh got a little bit more serious with my girlfriend and we sort of reconciled and, and that sort of thing happened and um, I started cleaning up my act a little bit you know like I just started like uh, drinking less and throughout this whole time I was still smoking cigarettes though like that was the one thing that I could not kick like I could not quit smoking cigarettes no matter how hard I tried no matter what I did And this goes on from the time I was 18 years old until I was 46 years old. I was able to finally quit smoking at 46. 46, 47, right around 2019 is when I quit smoking cigarettes. 
So that was the big battle there. <laughs> so anyway, when I got back from the road, I was working full-time, um, playing music in a really cool band. And what I wanted to do at that point was, like, write songs and try to be with songwriters and stuff like that. So the, the guys I was playing with, they it wasn't for any sort of money. It was just to have fun. But we were still playing gigs, man, and we were still doing our thing. And I cleaned up my act a little bit for, I guess it was about two years or something like that. But, uh... Something happened. I got sick of uh, all the crap of working and, and nothing going right sort of thing. And I just decided, that, you know what, I'm going to go back out on the road. So I so I moved all my crap back to Michigan. And um, I reconnected with uh, that drummer. And we found a different group. And uh, I moved out to North Dakota and started going back out playing full time again. So this went on until I met my future ex-wife, and uh, we, um, I wanted to come off the road, so I had um, talked with uh, the one guy, right, it's so weird how it happened, like this one guy come up to me and he's like, I'm putting together a band that I'd quit playing music for a certain amount of years, and I'd like you to be the lead guitar player, so if you ever decide to come off the road, let me know, you know. And I was like, God, man, how? That's crazy how convenient that was. So, all right, so I got off the road and I started teaching. Uh, started teaching uh, guitar lessons full time. I had over 40 students in Minot, North Dakota. And I was playing in this really, really cool band. It was just a cover band, you know, but it, it was really cool tunes and. In North Dakota, they love their bands, like, so much, man. Like, it's crazy. Like, you know, so it was always a good time there, you know. The people are super humble and really cool and everything. And by this time, I had seen one of those commercials where they're talking about, uh, um, what was it? Uh, Paxil. I think the commercial had, you know, like, talking about, like, do you feel hopeless and all this other crap and you know and I, I kept thinking to myself you know maybe maybe there's something wrong with me that way maybe I have a mental illness and then I need to go see somebody about it so that's what I did and sure enough they put me on that Paxil and for a while there I started feeling a little bit better but I still ended up drinking you know like I still ended up uh, the <laughs> It's funny because um, when I was talking to the uh, the doctor, the mental doctor about it, he's like, yeah, you know, if you have one or two beers, that's no problem. You know what I mean? Like, you just don't want to do a bunch of it and da-da-da-da-da. Well, that to me meant, oh, cool. Well, I'll just go ahead and do what I used to do sort of thing. You know? So anyway, that's horrible. The side effects for that were horrible because, like, I was... I was on the drug and drinking not as much as I was, but I would drink and get super aggressive, you know, like super, super aggressive and couldn't figure out why, you know. So anyway, 
but it did I mean it did I guess it did cut me down quite a bit but it was still it was just making a bad situation worse right and so I was tapering I was tapering off you know I wasn't quite completely but I was tapering off quite a bit and I started the antidepressants I think in 2003 and by 2006 I was completely off of them just cause I mean it's really weird like uh I was still on the road and doing all that in 2005, but throughout this whole time, I was like on these antidepressants, and they kept upping my dosage, and I would drink a little bit less and a little bit less, but it get, kept getting upped and upped, and I noticed that like, as my dosages kept going higher, like, it literally shut off my musical brain. Like, it was slowly dimming that switch, right? So, like, by the time 2005 came, and I was in Florida playing in a gig, and I got fired from that. But, um, that's a whole other story. But by that ha- time that happened, I really didn't care too much about, about it anymore. I was just really in a bad spot mentally, right? Like... My brain was telling me, dude, you're done, you know, just go get a job, and you did your best, and, you know, if it wasn't going to happen by now, it ain't never going to happen, and all this other crap, right? And then, it seemed to me like the antidepressants just made it more okay to, for that to be, right? Like, like it was just, alright, fine, whatever, you know? So it seemed like, I mean, I didn't realize it at the time, but looking back on it, like, it seemed like the more dosage I'd get upped, the the more the creative switch got turned off, and I didn't really care about it much anymore. Like, I didn't really care about anything, though, anymore, to be honest with you. Like, I just felt like, you know, just like I was just going through the motions with everything. So, it, uh... It was really sort of a bad deal there, you know. So in 2006, I got myself off of the Paxil, in which I did not do that the right way. Looking back on that one, I just quit taking the shit. And I went crazy for about a month, <laughs> I guess. But I was in Louisiana. It was right after Katrina. And I was down there working, painting. And, um, you know, it was what, what it was, right? But I still didn't want to play music as much as I was before. And, you know, a lot of people were just, like, shocked. Like, what are you doing, dude? You know? And this was when the beast really came out. You know? I didn't have anything to look forward to anymore other than going to work every day. Right? So, like, I didn't have any gigs to look forward to. I didn't have any sort of any sort of thing like that. So... The drinking really got out of hand. I mean, I was drinking every single day. I was getting hammered every single day, like hammered. And still going to work, still doing what I had to do. But I was, it was uh, misery times 10, you know. I ended up uh, in Louisiana. I ended up with a DUI. I also ended up in trouble for public drunk one time. So, it was getting pretty bad, but I still didn't, you know, like, I was still able to go to work every day. I was still able to pay my rent. I was still able to, 
make the money I had to make. So what are they going to say? What, what are people going to say? You know what I mean? Like, it's like, dude, you know, whatever. So. So just like anything else, I got frustrated with the, with the situation of living in Louisiana. I moved to Arizona in 2008. And when I moved to Arizona in 2008... I was around a lot of people that were heavy, heavy drinkers. And this lasted for about six, eight months. And then all of a sudden, man, I started getting super sick, like bad sick. Like every time I had anything to drink without calling it, I would feel like I was going to die. And, you know, so I literally literally could not drink anymore like I, I was what 2008 I was 36 or 37 and um so throughout this time period right here I, I still didn't quit drinking completely but like I slowed way way down and um I remember my aunt saying to me one time man you you haven't drank in a long time like I hadn't I used to bring beer over there and we'd hang out and have a few or whatever. And, and uh, I just told her, I said, look, I was getting so damn sick, man. Like, I can't do it anymore, you know? So, I was able to quit the drinking, but there was also, but I also had gotten hurt at work and I had a, problem with my foot and it got put on uh, painkillers and well you can guess where that's going so I I was able to quit the booze and be off of that but uh, all of a sudden man like this thing with these painkillers was just like wow this is the shit you know like I felt like a million bucks all the time I got an energy nobody could smell it on me you know I remember one time thinking that this is going to probably be the thing that kills me. <laughs> like, literally, like, this will probably, it's just too good, you know? Like, I'm going to either end up in the gutter somewhere or something, you know? But this is probably going to be what kills me. to have right like it's so horrible you know like it's terrible to have that sort of mentality and that sort of mindset of like you know basically just waiting to die you know what I mean like didn't really care at that point So now I'm on um, these painkillers, and obviously they only let you have them for a certain amount of time, but then I found somebody where I could buy them from, and you know, it's not like you, it's not like you're uh, going to the street corner and um, getting it from some dude with a gun and all that sort of thing. Just a sweet, nice old lady who was living on a pension who couldn't afford to live, and so I would buy her pills from her, you know? 
So that lasted only about two years before I ended up in a really bad spot. I was back home in Michigan, staying with my mom, working this crappy job, literally rolling over, working for pills, rolling over in the morning, taking the pills, and then going to work, and I mean, it was awful, just awful. And I remember thinking to myself, you know what? Here it is, you know? You can't afford to, to be living this life that you're living because you can't work and do this. You're going you're gonna to have to switch it up. And I remember thinking, like, uh, you know, there's a lot of people that end up switching to heroin whenever after they get to that point where they can't buy the pills anymore. You know, and this was in 2012. So I had been off the booze for three years, but I traded it basically for the pills. And I just looked in the mirror one day and said, you know what? You're either going to fucking quit or you're going to die. And I, right then at that point, I um, saw a commercial that said that there's a local uh, place that uh, will help you if you're trying to quit taking pills or whatever. And I called him up and I said, uh, yeah, I need to quit. So I put myself in a, a rehab center in Ann Arbor. Um, it was it was not uh, like a full-blown 28-day treatment program or anything. All it was was a five-day detox where I could go there and kick it. You know what I mean? And I thought I was going to be, you know, I thought I was going to have a little bit of like weaning off or like they were going to sort of help like, you know, with other drugs to help you get through it, you know, like methadone or something like that. But that's not what happened. Not even a little bit. <laughs> like, it was literally, I pretty much locked myself in there for five days. And I listened, I went to these AA meetings and listened to people talk. And I drank a bunch of Kool-Aid. <laughs> and that was it. <laughs> While I was in there, though, I read that book, that AA book, front to back. And it really helped me a lot. But I didn't really feel like it was completely for me. And then I went to NA a few times. And that felt a little bit more uncomfortable. And so for 90 days after I quit in 2012, um, you know, I would go to these meetings every single day. And I just gave it a chance, right? Like, I just gave it a chance, you know. And after the 90 days, I ended up not going back. But, um... That was also when I really noticed that the universe was kind of talking to me. And when I say that, I don't mean like like I notice it now. It was more like coincidences after coincidences after coincidences. It was like when I decided to quit and get off them pills, like things started kicking into overdrive as far as my life getting a little bit better. Well, actually a lot better, you know. So that's what, I mean, that's what I did. I, I basically had the choice of either, you know, go down the, the road of uh, killing myself in a lot of ways or quit and figure it out, you know. So I chose the latter, you know, like just, that's just the way it was. And 
it was literally one of the hardest freaking things I ever done as far as like quitting because I felt the effects of them of being on uh, the the pain medicine for six months after I quit I didn't sleep for two months literally did not sleep for two months um, it was horrible coming off of that stuff you know I still went to work I still went to work <laughs> unbelievable you know, one guy told me in one of the meetings, he's like, you're working? I said, yeah, I'm working, man. Like, bills don't stop just because I got a problem. You know, he's like, dude, you need to give yourself a break, man. You got to give yourself some time to heal and give yourself a break. And I'm like, I, I really don't even know what the hell that means. <laughs> you know, so. So that was that. But my problems with it weren't quite over with yet. Granted, this was the end of me taking narcotics. Um, period. You know, it was the end of that. But I, you know, I had other other problems with you know pain, with back pain, and different things like that. Nobody could figure out what the what the issue was. So I ended up getting on like non-narcotic stuff and taking that to a like a whole freaking new level of um, insanity <laughs> you know like and I still hadn't drank at that point I still hadn't had anything to drink or nothing and I ended up moving to uh, Alabama and meeting my second ex-wife and we uh, started working for this company I got on insurance and all that stuff and um, I had a really well, at the time, I thought he was a great doctor, but, you know, like, all I had to do is say, you know, I feel this, and I think maybe we could try that, and he would put it on me, you know what I mean? So, I was on, like, four or five different sort of medications, but throughout this whole time, still, my brain wasn't, like, connecting with the music stuff. I, I still wasn't, you know, feeling that calling again to... You know, I guess I hadn't suffered enough. You know what I mean? So, so from 2013 to 2018, that was pretty much the epitome of like what I felt like I, you know, took it to the extreme in certain ways. Now, I still had guitars. I still played every once in a while, you know, but it wasn't... I always said to myself, you know what, if you get back to playing, you're going to do it the right way, and you're going to do it for the right reasons, and you're not going to just play again because uh, somebody thought you were a great player, or because you want, you don't want to lose your chops after being doing it for 20 years. If I was going to get back to playing, it was because it was going to be a genuine love for me to do, you know, and I meant it. So from 2013 to about 2018, there was a barrage of uh, different, you know, uh, medications for nerves and different things like that, like, um, you know, like gabapentin and muscle relaxers and different things like that. And my rule was at that point was like, it's not narcotic, so I'm fine. I'm doing better. But I wasn't. I would, I would like lose memory every once in a while I would like drop like like just completely lose 
my train of thought or whatever. Um, I also didn't really care about anything, like, at all. Like, I mean, um, you know, it, it just wasn't good. All I, all I was was a bag of bones at that point, you know? I basically would get up and I would go to work and I would work my butt off and I'd come home and be miserable and fight with everybody and go to sleep and get up and do this crap over and over and over again all the time, all the time, you know. And then my second divorce in 2017 happened. I lost that job in 2018 that happened. I was working part-time doing different things like this and I don't know what... Well, part of it was my nephew wanted a guitar for his birthday. And um, so I bought him a guitar. I bought him a, you know, a little, a little Affinity Strat. And when I got it, I set it up like I just checked it over, make sure everything worked really good and all that. And I started playing it. And that magic was coming back. Like, it was back. It was like I felt like a kid again. Like, my chops were shit. Like, I couldn't even hardly play. You know what I mean? But that feeling was back. It was like, man, this feels like so much fun again for me. You know? And that was the start of uh, triggering this whole situation that happened with me in 2019. So, from 2017 to 2019, I was experimenting with... I was still on those non-narcotic drugs right but like I was tapering off like I was on four different medications and and by the time um things quit I quit everything in 2019 I was on like two you know so I started experimenting with uh building guitars and doing different things like that and then then sort of built my own guitar and this was like when I was doing that, I was like feeling this feeling of like how I felt when I played music. And so there was a lot of sort of magical things happening unintentionally while I was still doing this stuff, you know. And I really believe it was my higher self preparing me for what was about to happen. One thing that was kind of crazy. I don't know what possessed me to do this, but I went and seen a band play. And I hadn't, I mean, I was playing my nephew's little guitar or whatever until I sent it back to him, and I hadn't had a guitar in a little while. And I don't know what possessed me to do it, but I ended up getting up on stage and playing, man. And, like, it was freaking horrible. But it was, the guy, like, was like, dude, yeah, we know you haven't played in a while, he said, but... Like, he saw that potential, right? Like, like he saw that, like, that wasn't my first rodeo sort of thing. And so he invited me to come audition, like, a couple weeks later. And obviously I didn't get hired for that. But the point was, was, like, I literally, you know, didn't play for years and was terrible. But there was something in there. The guy was, like, saw something, right? like that's just sort of the way it's been (laughs) you know so this stuff started happening when I was playing uh, when I was building this guitar too and it didn't hit me about actually building it for a living until 2019 but like I built my first parts guitar and that was a magical time for me too and then 
So all this was going on after I built the guitar and I did all that stuff. And then uh, in 2019, in April 2019, something clicked, man. And that was it. That was the night where, you know, I guess you could call it the uh, awakening or epiphany or whatever you want to call it. But I was thinking I have got to get back to where I was. This is no life for me anymore. This is not the way I can live my life anymore. And so the next day, I literally got off all the rest of the drugs. I quit smoking. And this is the first time I have not had a cigarette since 2019, April 2019. And so I hadn't been on all that stuff either. So right now, at this point right now, I am not on anything. I, When my back gets really bad, I'll... We'll use Kratom. But other than that, I don't take a a thing, you know. So. So I thought this was going to be more of a outlining my drug abuse and how I was able to quit it. But it like such an intricate entwining with my musical career that I really felt like I just had to talk about it all that way. So. So now that you know all that, I got one more story that I really need to tell just because I feel like it's an integral part to the growing thing, which was like, um, so in 2019 when I quit all that stuff and I started playing music again, uh, I started practicing, I started getting ideas for things, tried a YouTube channel, tried different stuff like that. and it was fine. I moved back to Michigan. I had to deal with that. And I was still completely clean. I didn't I didn't take a drink or, or a drug or anything like that. Completely. And then uh, I went from Michigan. I stayed in Michigan for seven months. And I moved to uh, Arizona. And that's where I was going to go to school to build guitars. And when I went to Arizona, February of 2020, I think it was just before COVID hit, right? I um, started going to these open mics and things were like clicking so good, man. As a matter of fact, I thought I was going to probably end up staying in Arizona just because the way things were clicking. So COVID hit. And uh, when COVID hit, uh, things got a little bit crazier. But like certain people didn't want to play and I didn't really care, so like I was getting calls to do subs, and the reason why I'd even get the calls in the first place was because of what I was doing with open mics. The funny thing is, is that I hadn't even started practicing every day until a year before that, right? So like, within a year after deciding to come back to play music, man, like like I was already getting hired to play gigs again. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty incredible, you know, to to be able to get to that point. You know, at any point, especially. So anyway, I was uh, playing a gig. I was doing. I played with three different bands at that point. I was playing with a, a, a blues, a blues band, sort of a classic rock cover band, and then an acoustic, acoustic guitar thing. And you know, one of the somebody brought us up a couple shots. You know, and I don't know what come over me, but I, I drank a couple shots, and I 
didn't really think anything of it. I thought, as a matter of fact, I sort of justified it. Like, well, dude, I haven't drank in 10 years. It ain't gonna, it ain't gonna hurt nothing, you know, that sort of thing. Well, <laughs> I swear, man, like, as soon as all that shit happened, like, I went through, like, a two-week period. I guess it was about a two-week period where I drank more. And, uh, I shit you not, it all went to hell in a handbasket within a couple weeks, right? So I had a couple drinks then, and then I got invited to another gig, and we went up to uh, Payson or something up north up there, and uh, drank a little bit there. I ended up, like, running out of gas and breaking down in the middle of a mountain freeway, walking to a place where I could use a payphone, and one of the dudes that was with the band came and got me and helped me do all this other crap, you know? And I remember thinking, God, dude, you cannot get your shit straight, man. No matter what you do, you just cannot get your shit straight, you know? So, a weird thing, too, was like, after they talked to me and they said they heard about what happened to me with my car and all that, they're like, man, you're a freaking rock star. And I'm like, dude, this is not anything to be proud of. <laughs> like, nothing. I'm 46, 47 years old. And I went right back to this whole you know, like this whole shit show, just that fast, and so, I was also, that following week, I was also playing, uh, doing an open mic show, and it was great, man, everything was so good, like the, the music was good, and everything was flowing really nice, and I had a few drinks, and I drove home. And I got pulled over, and I got a DUI. So after quitting for 10 years, after shaking all that stuff off for 10 freaking years, I still ended up with a DUI again. So now, at this point, that's what I'm taking. I'm handling it, you know, taking care of whatever else has to be taken care of. But I've been struggling with talking about this just because... I guess a part of me, a really huge part of me, is pretty ashamed that, you know, I ended up right back at square one. But then the other part of me is like, well, you know what? You can never touch the stuff again. I mean, you just have to stay away from it. It's just not going to be a part of your life. And if it ever is to be a part of your life, you know it's going to go downhill 50 times faster. So... But part of the reason why I haven't really played out and really done much down here yet is because I've got this sort of hanging over my head, right? Like, I can't... I don't want to be driving around late at night after playing a gig and get pulled over and, and, you know, have to deal with all that crap, you know what I mean? So I've just been sort of not going to open mics and different things like that. Because obviously, you know, i got fines to pay, i got the breathalyzer thing in my car I got all that stuff you know I haven't had a drink since you know what I mean but um, regardless it's just the way it is you know and is it what lesson is it in there for me well the, the big lesson is that this just cannot be a part of my life anymore period I just can't do it you know So, yeah, I mean, is this a 
so is this podcast about me saying, oh yeah, I got it all figured out, man, you know, I did this shit and I did that shit, blah, 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 no, not even close, this is a podcast for me to, to, um, really just to really start to heal more, and, you know, like, the only lesson I could, could really say, though, is that, you know, every time I turn my back on, on my instinct, on what my, what I consider my guides are trying to tell me to do, or that sort of thing, it just goes to shit so fast, you know, and I see that more and more now than I ever have. So if anybody resonates with this, and if you feel like you're the only person in the world that has gone through this sort of thing, well, I'm here for you too, you know. And as much as I really didn't want to talk about this, but you see, I don't pick a topic. I let my in, my my intuition pick the topic for me. You know what I mean? Like, like as a matter of fact, I was thinking I was going to do something uh, more along the practice, my, my practice times and all that stuff. But then when I woke up, this stuff was going through my head. It's like, dude, you got to talk about it. You just got to talk about it, man. And so that's why. That's why I'm bringing it out and I want to talk about it. And, and um, So don't think you're the only person out there that, that's, you know, some really crazy shit's happened to you. Because... We all got these stories to tell, you know, and I think if we're unafraid to tell the stories, then we can all heal from it. We can all learn from each other that way to where it's not like, you know, I'm so sick of these guys with the whiteboards that tell you to do this and tell you to do that. But, you know, what have they done with their life? You know what I mean? Like, where's their experience? Where's the, where's the blood and the guts and the, and the the point to where you know you have nothing left you have literally nothing left but yet you still get up and you still put one foot in front of the other and you still figure out a way to pull yourself up out of that hole one little step at a time so i hope you all enjoyed this this was uh you know i don't i don't know how else to say it it's just it's a lot of stuff to deal with but um and it's way long it's an hour and ten minutes. Jeez. So anyway, if you have any questions or comments, please leave them down below. And if you want to reach out, you can hit me on the email or go to my website, kevinwinsetmusic.com. Um, yeah. And I hope you all have a beautiful week. And next week I've got some really cool things happening too. I think we're going to get back into a little lighter subject and, and start talking a little bit more about uh, some more of the cool awakening stuff and the different things like that. All right. Well, you guys have a great week and thank you very much.